Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Uh, Start off by saying um, welcome, and uh, secondly, by saying thank you to Joel for being here this morning. Miss Kendall uh, is out this morning, and uh, Joel is is the worship um, pastor at our um, Nashville campus uh, and so he's there every Sunday and uh, does a great job there and uh, was able to come and uh, be with us this morning and so I want to thank you Joel for leading us and um, uh, just being here you know Joel uh, actually he, he led when we first started one of our either first Sundays after we started or one of the early days when we were just kind of meeting once a month together uh, and actually has led in this building before then for the church that actually met here, Connect Church, that met here uh, some time ago. And so am, am I right on that, Joel? I'm not making that up, right? It's a good story even if I did make it up. Um, but I'm just excited for, for him to be here and to, to lead with us this morning. Uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, want to go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. We're in a 15-week study through the 16 books or 16 chapters of the book of Romans. It's the letter that Paul writes to the Romans. Uh, and this is a church that he's never visited before. He's never been there, but he's writing kind of to share the truth of the gospel. It's the most extensive letter that Paul writes. Uh, the most, it kind of spells out the theology of the gospel. It kind of spells out all the, the doctrine and whatnot more than any of the other letters that, that he writes. And so it's one of those kind of preeminent passages or, or books of the Bible. Lots of people kind of look uh, look to it as as one of those one of those staple uh, books in Scripture, um, and again we're halfway through the book. It's chapter eight. We're halfway through the book, and over the past couple of weeks in preparation for this Sunday, I was out last Sunday, and so looking at stuff coming up to this Sunday, um, I've I've done a lot of I did a good deal of thinking about and reflecting on what we've covered so far in the first seven chapters. Uh, of, of Paul's letter to the Romans, and, and, and we've, it's been great, personally, in my own personal quiet time or my daily steps is kind of working through the journal and kind of writing and, and journaling and reading the passage of Scripture uh, this past week in chapter 7 and then next week in chapter 8. Uh, honestly, there are some days, if, if I'm honest, though, there are some days that I read these passages of Scripture, even though we're reading them on the backside of preparing for a Sunday morning. So, like, I've, I've prepared for chapter 8, and then we'll read chapter 8 next week. There are some mornings that I sit down and I read, and it really just goes over my head. I don't know if you've had that experience where it's just like, man, there's nothing connecting here this morning. I don't understand any of what Paul's saying. There's like all of these logical arguments that he's making, and I'm maybe not as logical as I'd like to think I am, right? And so I'm maybe not following. But there's other mornings that it just feels like, we're just in reading Scripture, you kind of, get a glimpse, there's a moment where you kind of get a glimpse of the beauty and the power and the majesty and the, the grace of God and his peace kind of overwhelms and, and the reminder that I belong to him, that he is my God, that he's rescued me, that, that his love is this personal, inescapable, everlasting love. 
And it maybe, maybe you've had more of the days where it's gone over your head than you've had the days where you've met God in that way. But I want to just encourage you again and again just to, to grab, your, grab your Bibles and grab the daily steps and read God's Word. Even if it doesn't, even if on those certain days it just feels like it's going over your head, spending time with God in His Word is never going to turn, return void. It's never going to be something that you regret spending that time there. Even if in that moment you don't, it's not like eye-opening and some epiphany in, in the time that you spend there. So I just encourage you to keep going. Personally, as I've prepared each week uh, to, be, to, to preach the, from these passages and, and uh, from this incredible book of Romans, there's been a lot. Uh, I, I mean, I've enjoyed it. And, and one of the things that, that has really kind of been funny to me is that each week in every chapter that, that I've preached so far, there's some theologian, some pastor, some smarter person than me that, that claims or makes an argument at some point as I'm studying that this, whatever chapter we're in, is the most important chapter in the book of Romans. And that it holds the most important passage in all of the book of Romans. And, and chapter 8 is no different. Chapter 8 is no different. Honestly, in fact, I would say that, that chapter 8 has more more of these arguments about how important and how it holds within it some of the most important passages of Scripture. One comment, or most of the commentators that I read and most of the theologians that I read kind of quote this one guy, this, uh, this German theologian, Philip Spencer, who said this, that if all of Scripture was a ring and the epistle of Romans or the, the letter to the Romans was a precious stone, then chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. That in all of Scripture, that this would be the sparkling, the, the, the one piece, this chapter, these 39 verses, would be that sparkling point on this jewel of the Scripture. And I would say, honestly, as, as I approach this, I would not have said that chapter 8 is, chapter 8 of Romans was my favorite chapter of Scripture. I wouldn't have declared that it had my favorite verse, but I would say that it's incredibly important. I would, I would have come back to that it was an important passage. And, and today what I, what I want to say, what I think about it is that it's what I would call a keystone passage. And it, it maybe some of you know what a keystone is. In, in, in construction, it's kind of this, uh, like a wedge-shaped piece. And I looked this up, right, some of you know me well enough, you're like, you didn't know that before today. You're right. It's a wedge-shaped piece that, that, that the crown of an arch, right, that kind of holds these, it locks all of the pieces together. Another definition or another way that it's defined is that something which is associated with things and it depends on, all the other things depend on this one thing. That all the other things that are around it depend on this. So it's a keystone. It kind of holds the things together. There's an author of a book called Atomic Habits, James Clear, talks about keystone habits in our day-to-day -day life. And he makes the argument that there are keystone habits. Often they're just small habits. They're, they're, they're things that we do on a daily basis that are, that are habits that kind of cascade into other habits. Right? As, as I get this done, other things kind of fall into place. For me, I would say it's getting out of the bed when the alarm goes off. Like when that happens, then other things fall into place the way that I feel like they should. But if I sleep in and I snooze or whatever, it, it kind of, things kind of get out of whack. So a keystone for me is getting out of the bed when the alarm goes off. Right, so, so just this, everything else seems to fall into place. And so when I, when I look at this passage in chapter 8, I, I would say that it's a keystone passage. And what I mean is that I believe that if we get this, if we kind of grasp the truths that are found in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, there's a cascading effect. 
that applies to all of our lives, then other things begin to take root and our lives begin to, to, to take shape and are formed and our hearts and our minds begin to be awakened to the magnificent power of God. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus to transform us and to empower us to live the lives that he's called us to live. One pastor, Ray Pritchard, says this about this passage and just kind of sum this up in talking about this being a keystone passage. He says, Romans 8 is a summation of chapters 1 through 7. All that Paul has been saying comes to a glorious and grand climax in this chapter. It is, this, it is the, the one chapter in this book that you must know, that you must read, and that you must understand. And one of the things that lots of, lots of the different commentators and theologians talk about this passage in Romans, one of the significant things, one of the aspects of it that is the keystone for us is the assurance that it brings. That this is a passage that Romans 8 is, is a preeminent chapter of Christian assurance. One pastor says it, it's the wondrous comfort to the believer. And so for the ups and downs of, lives, of our lives, that this is one of those keystone passages that holds things together. And if you're filling out your worship guide there, the first blank that's there for us is this, that a kind of a, a, kind of a statement, of a thesis statement for us, that life in the Spirit, life when we live life in the Spirit, and we understand this passage and what it means to live life in the Spirit is a life of great confidence. That life in the Spirit of God is a life of great confidence. And there's four places I kind of want to point out as we work through this passage. But before we jump into that, I just want to pause and just ask the Lord just to move and bless our time together before we continue. So why don't you just pause and pray with me this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the songs that we have opportunity to sing that declare what you've done for us and in us and who we are because of it. And that the songs of gratitude and praise that, that thanks be to God because you rescued us. That what we were powerless to do, you have done for us and you did it all. And we have confidence in you. And God, I pray that as we open this, as you, we work through these 39 verses that are found in Romans chapter 8, that by your grace and the power of your spirit that is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, that God, you would meet us here in this moment. Open our eyes and our hearts. Refresh us with the beauty of your word. Let it be a well that we drink deeply from. And maybe, Father, this morning there's, there's someone who doesn't, has yet to put their faith in you. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the beauty of your scripture and your gospel and what you have done for them. And that, that today would be a day of salvation for them. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So beginning uh, first, kind of right out the gate, the first thing that we're looking at, this great confidence that is life in the spirit, life in, in the spirit of God is great confidence. The first confidence is this, that it's a confidence in our position. And really this is the first 17 verses uh, of this passage uh, in, this, in chapter 8, just kind of working through. We're not going to read all 17, kind of break up into a couple different things because there's a couple different places that, we, that it talks about our position here in this passage. And the first one is, is in verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Here's the confidence that we have in our position, the beginning of this, this passage or the beginning of this chapter. It's the, the confidence that we have in our position that we are no longer condemned. That we are no longer condemned. I mean, what, this, what it tells us and, and, and what, to really understand the beauty of this truth and to, to really grasp how, how, this, how what, what is being said here really shines through and, and over all the darkness, we have to understand the flip side of the fact that we're not condemned is the fact that we were condemned. I mean, to really understand and really grasp and really enjoy the, the, the great word, the great reality of my position being changed and the confidence that I have in my position that I'm no longer condemned, we have to understand that I was, that we, all of us, were condemned. That we were under the judgment of God, that we were sinful from birth, that we were broken and useless. And in Ephesians, it says that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. It says all of us lived among them and those who are, who are dead in our trespasses. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. Now, apart from Christ, all of us, there's not one of us that escapes this, that all of us are in this place that we were condemned, we were objects of God's wrath. But the moment that we put our faith in Christ, everything changes. And that we go from condemned to no longer condemned. And what makes this, this makes this truth in these words so overwhelming to the heart of the believers because Paul's telling us that, that we're, what we were once under is, is no longer the reality for us. That what was once my identity is no longer my identity. Now, in these words, listen, it says that God has, God has nothing against us. He finds no fault in us. There's nothing to punish us for. Even more, condemnation doesn't exist for you ever again for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not that you've moved out of it or out from under it for a while and it could return. Listen, no, there is no condemnation for us at all. It doesn't exist anymore. The moment that we come into, into a relationship with Christ, condemnation is gone forever. Listen to that, gone forever. There's nothing but acceptance and welcome for us forever. Maybe you need to hear it this way. Because you heard us and it went over your head and you thought, but you're not talking about me. I want you to hear these words. That God has nothing against you. There is no, now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has nothing against you. It's gone forever. He has put it aside. And so when he looks at you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. 
You haven't escaped it for a little while and it's coming back. There is therefore now no condemnation forever for you who are in Christ Jesus. What was once true of you that you were condemned is no longer true and it is no longer true forever. Your position has permanently changed in the eyes of God because of what Christ has done for you. Not because of what you've done, but what Christ has done for you. There is now no condemnation. And it continues, right? If you skip down to verse 14, it says this, that for those, not only is there no condemnation, not only do we have a confidence in our position that we're no longer condemned, but listen, for those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The spirit you received does not, call, does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought you into adoption to, into the, your ado, excuse me, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by it we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if we indeed, if indeed we share in the suffering in order that we might also share in his glory. The confidence is not just in the fact that I'm, my, I'm no longer condemned. It's the confidence that I have that I'm a child of God. That, that I have access to the Father. That everything that, that, that everything that is true of the Son of God, the Jesus that we read about in Scripture, that everything that is true about him and his relationship with the Father is now true of me. And now true of you that you have access to the Father, that you are considered his child and all of the inheritance of, of the Son is yours in, in Christ, that you are his. And I, I know, listen, I know that for some of you, you've, you maybe don't have a father that's been a great father. Maybe you've had a father that's been absent. Maybe, maybe your father has been a horrible human to you. Some of us have great fathers, and, and that's great. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum of great or not so great, absent, all of those things. Your father on earth is but a shadow of an infinitely greater father. So listen, what we have hope in is if you look in it, you're like, my dad was a horrible human. Okay, I'm sorry that that's the truth, but that is not who your father is now. And even if your dad was the greatest human on the face of the earth, he was but a shadow of this infinitely greater father that you now belong to as a child of God. And we have this confidence that we belong to him. We have access to him. It's what he says, Abba, Father, that we call him Dad. The, the, the language there is even, even more intimate than that, that he is Daddy. Access to him and our confidence rest and that we are no longer condemned, but we are also children of God. This passage gives us a great confidence in who we are. But it also, in that process, it gives us a confidence in our position, but it teaches us that we have to set our minds on things that are different. And it means that we have to kind of tune in to and understand what's going on because in, in between these two, the, these two places where he talks about being a child and also having our confidence in our position, uh, being no longer condemned, he talks about in verse 5 through 8, he says, those of you, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on fleshly desires, but those who live according to the Spirit 
with, the, with their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is dead, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the, by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, nor can it do so. For those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So the question is, what in this understanding and this confidence of our position as no longer condemned and children of God, it, it means that we have, to turn, we have to turn our minds to understanding what that means. It means we have to set our minds on the things of the spirit rather than the things of the flesh. The things that are, that are found, the, the truth about who we are in God's word, we have to continue to rehearse these things and, and understand what the gospel is and how important the gospel is for us and what it's done in us. It, and one, uh, Tony Evans, pastor who wrote uh, on this passage, talks about this, that, that it's the difference between or it's what, what he's talking about in this mind, t- fixing our minds on the things of God versus the things of the flesh. It's, it's, we can't watch two television shows at the same time. Some of you are like, I, I, can, I can do that. Like, okay, maybe you are the one on the, on the face of the earth. But if you have one television, you can watch one show at a time and actually focus on what's going on. I know some of you don't even know what a, a, a radio is anymore, but there's AM and FM stations, right? You can't listen to an AM station and an FM station at the same time. They're different frequencies. You have to choose which one you're going to tune into. And scriptures that say what, what he's telling us here is mind in the flesh versus mind in the spirit. You've got to choose which one you're going to turn into, which you, one you're going to tune into. And, and when your minds are on the flesh, it's not pleasing to God. It cannot please God. But our minds being on the spirit, it does. It, it shapes us and molds us and, and helps us understand the truth of these verses. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the most of, most of our trouble is due to our failure to realize and remember the truth of these verses of who we are. What we are in Christ and fixing our minds on those things. It's why we spend so much time. It's why I sound like a broken record and will continue to talking about spending time with God and his word in daily steps and finding a group where you can surround yourself with other people who are speaking truth into you. Because we're we're never going to fix our minds on the things above. We're never going to fix our minds on the things of the spirit unless we're reading God's word and spending time with him in his word. Spending time with people who are pointing us to him and spending time with the body as we celebrate and sing songs of worship. Those things don't happen unless we spend that time in those places. Fixing our mind on him. This week in the Daily Steps, you're going to read through chapter 8. And and what we can do as we work through whole chapters like this is really more of a survey of the chapter. And we can't really dive into the, uh, all of the intricacies of all of what's going on in these passages. So I want to encourage you, one, to spend time with God in his word this week through Daily Steps. You can find it through the journal. You can find it on the app. All the Daily Steps readings are there. And spend time especially in verses 5 through 14 really understanding what it means to fix your mind on the things above. And if you need some help with some resources, email me, text me, whatever. I'd be glad to share those resources with you. Read from some different translations. That will help you kind of understand it. But spend some time meditating on God's word, especially these first 17 verses about putting our minds on Christ. We're going to move on. This is the second thing. Is our confidence. <clears throat> we have confidence in our suffering of his presence and the promise of a future glory. Confidence in the midst of our suffering of his presence and the promise of future glory. Verse 18 says, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation awaits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated and its bondage to decay be brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning with the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. We hope, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we will wait patiently. In verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts and minds, he who searches the hearts and the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We have confidence in this, in the, in the hope of a future glory with God in his presence that far outweighs the momentary sufferings that we experience now. And, and listen, that's not to say that your suffering is not something that is, that is real and painful. Some of you have walked through real painful suffering. When your children have walked away from the Lord, when you've lost a child, when, when, you've, when, when things have gone through and your body has been broken down by cancer, you've walked through real pain and suffering. And I'm not saying anything that that's not real. What, I'm help, what I hope that this passage does, what I believe that this passage does, is it gives us a place, a ground, a place to ground ourselves in the promise that our suffering, as bad as it may be, does not compare in the slightest to the joy and the beauty that awaits for us when this life is over and we're restored and renewed and we're in the presence of Jesus for eternity. Again, Tony Evans says that the joy of heaven, when we experience the joy of heaven, it'll be like looking back on the suffering that we experienced on earth and say, what suffering? It's like the mother who goes through child, through the pains of childbirth, and as soon as that pain it produces the child that she was laboring under, that pain is forgotten because the joy of what she holds in her arms. We have a promise of future glory and his presence with us through those struggles. We have confidence that God's presence is with us because what this passage says that even, that, that even in those moments when we don't know what to pray, in those moments when we, don't, when we feel our weakness, when we feel those, we don't have words to express how, we're, how, to, how to tell God what we're walking through or the pain that we're experiencing, what he says that he prays for us, that he's present with us, that he knows, he knows our thoughts and our minds. He knows what we're walking through even better than we do. And he intercedes on our behalf. And he prays, he, he, he meets us even in those groanings to pray for us and to pray with us. So we have this confidence. Confidence in the darkness of those moments of suffering that he's present with us. That he prays for us in the promise of future glory. We also have the confidence in the third, third spot, the confidence that God has a purpose for all things. 
Some of you may recognize this passage, and uh, it's one of those that, you know, I think we put on, um, on magnets and put up, or bumper stickers, if that's a thing that we do anymore, but that this, this passage is one that we probably remember at some level, but there's something so great about what it says, and I want you to hear these words. And we know, and he says, we know, right? This, this confidence, we know, he says it throughout this passage, we know, we have this confidence that in all things God works, excuse me, God works for the good of those who love him and that are called according to his purpose. For God, for those God foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the brothers and sisters. And those that he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Again, we have to call a spade a spade on this passage because what this passage says, that there is, there is an exclusivity to this, to this promise. Right? He says it's not saying that everything is awesome and that everyone everywhere is going to experience everything awesome. That's not what it says. And so we have to call a spade a spade. Not all of our friends that don't know Jesus, they, they, don't, they don't get to hold on to this promise that everything works out for the good. This passage says for those who are in Christ Jesus, for you who have put your faith in Jesus, we know, we have this confidence that God has a purpose for all of the things that we walk through. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, if you've not placed your, your, your hope in him and understanding that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a savior and that Jesus is the way to salvation, if you have not trusted Christ, this is not a promise you get to hold on to. There is a promise that he desires to have a relationship with you. And if you put your faith in him and your confidence in him, this could be a promise that you hold on to. But where you stand today, this is not your promise yet. I know that sounds harsh. But it's a reality of what happens in Scripture. And if you want to trust Christ for salvation, I would love to have that conversation with you that you can have this confidence that all the things that you've walked through, that God has a purpose for that. But we understand in this biblical worldview that not everything just works out magically for good. Not even in our own lives. We have to understand that it just doesn't work out for good. That God is the agent that makes all of those things that we walk through, all of the, the trials and the struggles and all of the, the dark moments that we walk through, that he's the one that makes them come back to something that's good. That left to itself, it unravels. What starts off bad just comes around and is even worse. Unless he's in control of it. And we believe that for the believer, for those who are in Christ... He works all of those things. He makes them subjected to himself, to his purpose and plan, that they are good for us. And there's a couple of things there, just, to, just to kind of wrap this part of it up. That the first thing what this passage says, that, that, that there's no way that what this says, that we experience sorrow and that, that we're going to somehow escape those things. That we live in a broken world and we have a God who's sovereign and all-powerful and all-knowing. He's able to make even the darkest trials. It, it says that we will experience trials here and in other places in Scripture. So it says that. So we know that that's going to happen. But secondly, what this passage does is that it fights to remove the anxiety and the fear in the moments that we think something's gone wrong. For those of us that are in Christ Jesus, nothing goes wrong. 
And, and we, when, we look at, when we look at what happens, it, we, it feels like it's gone wrong. It feels like it's out of control. But what it says that nothing has gone wrong, not at all, that God is at work in all things, that it means he has a plan for these things, that nothing is outside of this. We don't live in a world with some arbitrary fate where it's just kind of decided with a flip of a coin. Even, even that, what it says in, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord, that even the flip of the coin, is in God's hands. Nothing is left up to fate. It's all in his hands. So nothing, it gives us confidence. And when those, it fights against that anxiety, it gives us, it gives us a confidence that, that nothing is missing. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, right, this, says this, that everything is needful that he sends and nothing is needful that he withholds. What this passage tells us is that it gives us confidence in what he gives us, that what he's given us is exactly what he needs, what we need to be the people that he's called us to be. That there's nothing missing. And this is a passage, this part right here has, has worked on my nerves over the past several years. As I've looked at some things and landscape has flipped through Instagram and look at guys that I went to school with and I'm looking at their, their, the churches and all the things that they're doing and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I think I'm missing out on something. What this passage tells me is that there's nothing, nothing that God has withheld that is good for me. And so when we look at our lives there may be some of those places where you look and it's hurtful. Maybe it's hard for you to look at and say, what's, look, see what's going on and recognize that God has not withheld anything from you that would be good for you. That everything that you have, everything, the good and the bad, is all a part of his plan and his purpose. And it's needful for what he desires to, make, to do in your heart. And it leads to this, this gratitude that wells up in us. What this passage leads to is a gratitude and a joy that even in the routine things of life, that God is working it for our good. And a lot of times I think we look at this as just the bad things, right? It's not just, it's not just the, those moments of sorrow that God is working towards. It's the good things in our lives that he's working towards our good as well. It wells up in us this joy and confidence and, and that God is in control when we have friends that surround us and, and do life together. That's a good thing. It's him working his good plan out in our lives. So it's not just the suffering that we, that we say God is doing something and, and, is, and is submitting that to his plan. It's in the good things and those gifts that he gives us that we can say he's working his good and perfect plan out in our lives. And last and the final confidence is this, that we have confidence in God's power, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask the, the band to come back up, and we're going to sing a song that just reflects on God's great love for us. And as they... As we get to that, as we, as they, before we sing that song, I just want to read this because I, I don't think that my commentary is going to add anything to it. I think, I, honestly, it might take away from what God's word says in this moment. But I want you to hear what God's word says, what his word says about the power of his love, the power of his love, that nothing can separate us from it. 
and recognize that this whole passage is we get this. If we grasp what these, these things that we know from Scripture, this confidence that we have, this key, it's, it's a keystone aspect of just cascading into other understandings and growth in our, in our hearts where our hearts are, hearts are exploding with this truth and our minds are reshaped and our lives are formed by this truth. Listen to what it says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Then who is the one who condemns? No one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised into life, is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble and hardship, persecution and famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered, we're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither present nor future, nor any power, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, open our eyes to this magnificent, mighty, overwhelming, intimate love. Let our hearts be captivated. Let your gospel stir in us and reshape us and transform us into your image. God, let us leave here with your word as our confident that these things are true of those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Our position is forever changed. We are your children. Your presence is with us and we have a promise of a hope that lasts forever. You have a purpose for everything that we walk through and nothing, God, let us confidently stake this and sing it this morning. Nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.